Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, Rhode Island's housing market is hot as the ocean state gets flooded with out-of-staters. Not yet vaccinated for COVID? You're still welcome in public facilities in New Hampshire because of the newly signed Medical Freedom Law. And a chilling incident at a Martha's Vineyard summer camp is under investigation as a hate crime. These stories and more during our regional news roundtable. Later in the show, rosé all day? Absolutely. The blush wine is more popular than ever. There are as many different styles of rosé as there are uh, wine lovers. You know, rosés that much more resemble white wines and also rosés that are kind of leaning hard towards light red wines. We're lifting a glass on all things rosé in the latest edition of our Summer Fun series. But first, joining me remotely... Arnie Arneson, host of The Attitude with Arnie Arneson from New Hampshire's WNHN. Hi, Arnie. Hi, it's a pleasure to be back. Ted Nisi, politics and business editor and investigative reporter for Providence, Rhode Island's WPRI. Welcome back, Ted. Great to be here, Callie. And George Brennan, news editor of the Martha's Vineyard Times. Hi, George. Hi, it's nice to be here. Glad to have all of you. Well, I'm starting with you, Arnie, because as everybody knows, COVID and the spread of the Delta variant is on everybody's mind. And New Hampshire is doing a lot of different things with regard to both vaccination, not vaccination, medical freedom bills, all of this stuff is happening. So first, let's talk about this medical freedom bill. Everywhere in the country now, pretty much, the rule is that if you are vaccinated, there are many places you can go publicly. But if you are not, you're limited in where you can go. New Hampshire says differently because of this bill. So tell me what medical freedom means. Who knows? Um, What what it tells you is that you have a Republican governor and a Republican legislature. Can I be honest here? That's really what that means. In a lot of ways, this is the continuation of the anti-vaccine, anti-masking, the whole idea of liberty. This is the word that they use. This is about patriotism and liberty. And it's really, really unfortunate because, for example, the public university system. So we have the University of New Hampshire system. They are not allowed to require students and faculty to basically be immunized before school starts in the fall. There is a listing of all the colleges in New Hampshire that are requiring immunization before their students come back in the fall. Guess what, Callie? It is every single higher academic institution in my state 
except the university system of New Hampshire. So what it is doing is it's creating greater levels of vulnerability based on the politics of the legislature and the governor. So I think this is going to, to some extent, come back to bite the governor and the legislature. But the only way we'll know that is by seeing a rise in the variant, by seeing complications happening at those academic institutions, for example. And um, once again, it is not about science. It is not about health. It is all about politics. Now, what's interesting is that the University of New Hampshire is going to require testing when the students arrive. And we should note that at all of these universities, students come from all over and there are different rules in every state. So we don't quite know unless you test them or unless they have proof of vaccination. So the University of New Hampshire, which would be part of this system you're talking about, will require that they when they get here, they have they must be tested and then they have regular testing for every member of their community, meaning the university community, vaccinated or unvaccinated. So is that a way to respond to the medical freedom bill? I mean, who knows? Uh, and, and then again, there's like two ways of approaching this. The unvaccinated will be tested more often than the fully vaccinated, which means you have to disclose your vaccination status. Oh. This is going to be pushed back everywhere, Kelly. The, the, the dean of the school doesn't want to do this. He wants to follow what other academic institutions in our state are doing. They really, really do. But unfortunately, the legislature has made a decision that they can't do this. And the last part of this New Hampshire vaccinated or unvaccinated conversation has to do with the governor, who, of course, was supportive of the medical freedom bill, who says he's not going to participate in um, President Biden's door-to-door vaccine initiative, which, as is pointed out by the New Hampshire Journal, is a key to rural communities because often they just lack access. And so having a door-to-door initiative where the vaccine comes to you has been significantly uh, important in getting more people vaccinated. But that he's not going to do that. So. Of course not. Because okay. it's Biden, because it's Biden, because this is this is a MAGA response. Just talk to your doctor, okay? If you want to understand him, these people don't have doctors. We've been closing hospitals. This is the uninsured and the underinsured. And they are afraid of even being uh, consulting someone that has anything to do with the healthcare system because they know they've been uninsured. They're not even sure they believe that these vaccinations are for free, okay? So again, one of the reasons why Biden wants to do this is that he wants to go where people are. He wants to make it as convenient as possible. He wants to make sure that if they're working three shifts, we can work around those three shifts. The governor, again, is not doing what is appropriate for the science and health. What he sees is Biden says A, he will say B. He should look at the northern part of my state where you see a greater number of unvaccinated. They're rural, they're poor, they don't have access to medical care. And once again, what is he doing? He's putting politics in the way of them being able to easily and seamlessly getting vaccinated. We should do whatever it takes. He chooses not to. Well, Ted Nisi, politics has long been a part of this whole vaccination conversation. What does it feel like there in Rhode Island in terms of a response to the rise in the cases because of the Delta variant? I note that Rhode Island has a 4.35 percent average positive test rate. That's from the beginning of August and um, 302 new cases as of August the 4th. You know, Rhode Island is, like most of the Northeast, near the top of the vaccination percentage on the rankings there. And so there was a feeling as the numbers plunged in April and May that we licked this thing. You know, it's it, it's going to be around and we've got to be careful, but, you know, this is good. And to see 
the case numbers rising so rapidly, I think has left a lot of people frustrated, especially the people who feel like they've done everything right. They got vaccinated. They wore their masks when they were supposed to. They thought they were getting back to more normalcy. But then the other thing is I think you know, it's interesting the comparison with New Hampshire, where there's much more political controversy because the Republicans are stronger up there. In Rhode Island, a, a just heavily Democratic state among all the elected officials, there's generally been less, uh, I would say, controversy among the political leadership about you know, which measures are right. There's been some, but there's been a lot of uniformity around that. But now I think you're starting to see more disagreement about what to do. You know, do you bring back an indoor mask mandate or something like that? Just this week, we saw Governor McKee has said, you know, he's watching it, but he doesn't want to take any steps right now other than telling people to get vaccinated. But then the treasurer, another Democrat, Seth Magaziner, who's preparing to run against McKee next year, instituting a mask mandate as of Thursday, August 5th, in his offices that he controls, you know, partly to show a more aggressive response. And I think there's just some confusion. Like, there's not a lot of public support for restrictions coming back, but they also don't want, like, I mean, there was a point where Rhode Island had, according to the Financial Times, the most COVID cases per capita on the globe. That was last winter. Uh, so... You know, Rhode Island is such a dense and small place. Can It could get out of hand quickly, and we've seen that. So I think there's just some nervousness and some frustration. Well, we know here, George Brennan, that uh, Governor Baker has been pretty clear about what he's not going to do. He's reluctant to to respond to a, a mask mandate. In fact, he said he's not going to do it. He's reviewing possible other changes, but he's pretty firm about trying to let the local communities make their own decisions. And What I think is interesting, just looking at the numbers, Massachusetts has a 2.3 percent average positive test rate, but our caseload is up. We've got a thousand cases, new cases as of August the 4th. As all the doctors have told us, this Delta variant is is something to pay attention to. It's really quite scary, but it inevitably leads to politics because there's a lot of pressure on Governor Baker here in Massachusetts. Yeah, there is. And, you know, we have a lot of visitors right now, too. And, and that's an issue here on the island. You know, we have 100,000 more people here. And it seems like even more than that than, than we typically do. And they're from all over the country. And so with different protocols, <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely. You know, there's there's people here from, you know, southern states. We get a lot of people from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. So some states, they're dealing with the same types of protocols that we're dealing with here. You know, on the island, the cases have remained somewhat low, although there have been four samples of the Delta variant detected here. That's a concern, you know, when you have all these people and they're crowding into restaurants and they're crowding into the flying horses and all the things that are open here. You know, that's why the the health officials here about a week ago said, let's issue a mask advisory following on the heels of the CDC for indoors. They haven't made it a mandate either, but we had the health official in Tisbury going door to door, Mm. you know, letting Mm. businesses know you should put a sign outside that says, if anybody's coming in, please wear a mask and asking people indoors that if they greet someone from the public to be wearing a mask when they're doing it. So there are new initiatives being put into place as a result of this slight uptick in cases here on the island. 
If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me remotely are Arnie Arneson, host of The Attitude with Arnie Arneson from WNHN, Ted Nisi, politics and business editor and investigative reporter for WPRI, and George Brennan, news editor of the Martha's Vineyard Times. We're discussing the latest news in the region you might have missed. And back to you, George, something that became a story about COVID and the Delta variant and policies and protocol in politics was, of course, uh, President Barack Obama's 60th birthday planned on the island. That island that you already said is really crowded with 100,000 extra people. About 500 people were expected to come to his party. By the way, we'll say up front that these plans have been changed as a result of pushback, but he was going to have it at their new house in uh, Edgartown on the island. And just so that you have a sense of how political that this got a birthday party, here's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, followed by Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, commenting on former President Barack Obama's planned birthday party on Martha's Vineyard. Former President Obama has been a huge advocate of individuals getting vaccinated. What CDC has provided guidance on is for indoor settings in high or substantial high zones of COVID cases. This event, according to all the public reporting, is outdoors and in a moderate zone. But in addition, there is testing requirements and other steps they are taking, which I'm sure they can outline for you in more detail. But I can tell you, if I were invited, I would have declined. Why? because I think 700 people at an event like that is not a good idea. And by the way, the the 700 that the governor referred to included the 200 people who were going to be assigned to work the event. This was a big deal, or it became a big deal, George. It became a big deal. You know, it's a news editor's nightmare when you wake up on a Monday morning (laughs) and you flip on Twitter and Martha's Vineyard is trending. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so that's what happened to me on Monday morning. And you, you you try to realize why. And it's the former president is planning a birthday bash on, on the island. And, you know, we got to work on it and try and get the pulse of the community. And it was mixed. You know, there are people who are saying, look, we're putting 30,000 people at Fenway Park every every night uh, for a Red Sox game. People are, were outdoors uh, a week ago at Beach Road Weekend on Martha's Vineyard, enjoying some great music in Vineyard Haven. So do we really need to tell the former president that he can't throw himself a 60th birthday party at his estate, going to be outside, he's going to have a COVID coordinator? And then there are people who are saying, you know, it's just not the right look, given that the CDC had just come out with, you know, new, new guidelines. Um, and, you know, the spread of the virus across the country and a slight uptick here on the island. You know, a month ago, we were looking at zero cases here and uh, everybody was feeling pretty good about moving forward. But we have had a slight uptick. Delta variant uh, was detected in some samples. So there were people here who were saying this just a little bit maybe tone deaf to, to have that many people together for a party. So a couple of days went by and the former president has decided to scale back significantly. You know, what that means exactly, we don't know. We have been told it's less than 100 people that are going to be there, family and friends. It's still going to be a party and it's still going to be outdoors and they're going to follow COVID protocols, but it's going to be far fewer people than they had planned to have. Interestingly, 
just did a little check before we started this to find out what's the room availability on the island right now. Exactly. All, all those people are still here. You know, even some of the people I'm sure who were invited to this gathering came to the island and um, there's no rooms to, to be had here, maybe one or two here and there, and you're going to pay a lot of money for them. But there's a lot of people here, regardless of whether the former president has his party or not. Well, that's what I was really curious about, because there were virtually no rooms when I was there a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you will still pay a lot of money for them, even with that. So I figured if these people were halfway there or all the way there, they must have rented houses, most of them, because there wasn't really a lot of hotel space available, even if you wanted to pay a lot of money. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the island is is full. You cannot get around. If you have to get from Tisbury to Egertown right now, you need to plan ahead, give yourself a good, you know, 30 to 45 minutes in order to get there. It's crowded. Well, here's the thing that I'm curious about, George. So when those people made all of the reservations and booked the houses or whatever, the island still makes money, right? Because it's too late for them to cancel. And I mean, if they did, they had to pay something still, right? Yeah, most definitely. The The island has seen a lot of benefit from that. Um, short-term rentals, you know, the amount of taxes coming in, uh, because we do tax all short-term rentals now, even during the height of COVID in 2020, was way up. And it's significant now as well. There are lots of Airbnbs, but you can't get one now. They're just not available. So I think it wasn't about the money and it wasn't that he wasn't going to be aware of people, you know, exercising protection for COVID. It really was about the look. We are living in an extreme situation on so many levels. And let's remember, he is still a very powerful, powerful and important Democrat and how he behaves sends a message. Um, Ted, you want to weigh in on that? You know, this is not the first time we've seen people get mad because they feel like there's one set of rules for regular people and another for, you know, the powerful, the politicians setting the rules. In this case, it seems like at the same time, Obama was kind of caught with, you know, if you're vaccinated now, at least until very recently, you were supposed to be able to kind of go back to your old life. Um, it does seem like Delta probably required him, as Governor Baker said, to, to readjust. But I think I think it also just shows how how frustrated people are, you know, the feeling of not even being sure what to do. It's like, all right, the CDC is saying, you know, it's getting so bad, we should all be wearing masks indoors again. But then <laughs> the guy who um, helped make Joe Biden the president is having a huge birthday party on, a, on an island that's already densely packed um, and not too far from P-Town, which had its own Delta issue last month. So, you know, I think I think that's going to continue as long as there's concern about COVID and restrictions and everything. I think people are going to be on on watch for folks who they think are breaking the rules, even if they're not actually breaking the rules necessarily. Um, I would agree with that. I would add one thing. The guests, the original 500 guests or nearly 500 guests were asked to donate to uh Obama's uh, various programs having to do with supporting young black men and and other things of that nature. So there actually was some, quote, quote, good benefit out of the party even before all the controversy happened. And the second thing I would say is that this was a party that uh, President Biden turned down. Now, obviously, he was invited and he couldn't. That wasn't a good look for him, as you can imagine. So I think maybe that more than anything else got everybody thinking, you know what? Um, no. Uh, so anyway, 
more to come because I'm dying to know who the friends and family, the ones that made it inside the circle were. Maybe George will know the next time we talk. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I think I think, Callie, a lot of us have learned, especially people my age. I'm in my mid-30s uh, and there were a lot of weddings uh, happening among my friends. You you find out if you were in the first tier of wedding guests <laughs> or the second tier when they had to do the scale backs for COVID. I have two friends who were excited because there were enough rejections or, you know, RSVP declines for a wedding recently that they both made the second round uh, for those seats. So I think it's the new the new etiquette of COVID. There you go. All right. Moving on, because there are a lot of folks, Ted, from out of state flocking to Rhode Island because it's perceived or maybe it's a real story because I thought real estate was up everywhere that you can get a bargain. I'm using that word loosely in Rhode Island. What's the story? So Rhode Islanders have been astonished over the last year, I would say, to see the run up in house prices. They were already climbing before COVID, but we've just people are stunned. And I know that's happening in a lot of places to see how much more house in their neighborhood is going for compared to even last year, let alone two years ago. And one of the reasons for that is if you think about it, unlike Massachusetts or Connecticut, you know, Rhode Island's small enough that you don't need that many people from out of state to come in to make a real impact in a way that Rhode Islanders going to Massachusetts doesn't sort of, you know, have as big of a ripple effect. And the Association of Realtors in Rhode Island reported this week that there was a 69% jump in the number of out-of-state residents buying homes in Rhode Island during the spring of this year compared with last year. And it's up overall. Most of those people coming from, as you'd expect, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, but also some from California and Florida. And you summarized it well there, Callie. I live in Rhode Island. It is, you know, a lovely place. It has its problems, but everybody does. But it's beautiful. It's very convenient to, you can go one way you're in the beach, the other way you're in a rural area. There's Newport, there's Providence, et cetera. And also it's very convenient if you work in Boston, if you need to get to New York City, it's right on 95, there's the train station. And, and then on top of all that, particularly for the people from Massachusetts, I know, it is a bargain compared with Massachusetts. And I think that's part of it too. Uh, as we're seeing all over the Northeast, Rhode Island just doesn't build many new houses anymore, which means it's sort of an endless war between everybody for the remaining houses that were already built because there's so few new ones that ever come on the market. So I just note uh, that the interest and the buying and the uptick is 69%. That's a mm. lot more people buying. And it's rare that I know people personally who are part of a trend, but I actually know two or three people who have done exactly what you said, lived here and bought there. Well, tell them I'd love to get drinks if they want to if they want a few tips about Rhode Island. I'm always looking to meet new 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 neighbors and new people down here. But yeah, we I was talking to someone just this morning, some people listening might know the town of Barrington on the East Bay, which is one of the wealthiest towns in Rhode Island, has one of the best school systems. And a friend of mine who's lived in Barrington for years said to me, I was mentioning this story that I was doing the show today, and he said, oh, uh, he said, it's amazing the number of Connecticut and New York plates you see right now in Barrington, which is sort of the visible sign there of how many people from out of state are going. So I think it's also probably also disproportionately affecting certain desirable towns where they're really seeing it in those places because that's where people are going. Wow. Okay. Well, back to you, George, for a very sobering story. I first heard about this a few days ago, and it's a little intense. This is a very popular local summer camp on the island in Chilmark, which is a town up island, and a very popular camp, the Chilmark Community Center, which uh, sponsors a number of camps for various aged children. 
And what is under investigation now are that two boys, allegedly, this is just the, the information that we have, eight and nine years old, two white boys, took belts and put it around the neck of a young black boy uh, in a noose-like fashion to the point that he had abrasions on his neck. Needless to say, this has gotten quite a bit of attention. Not as much detail has come out since those first reports, and the Martha's Vineyard chapter of the NAACP is also investigating. So what can you say now? Yeah, so this, as you said, very sobering report came out on Monday. The incident happened uh, the previous week, and the reaction has been very mixed on the island. There are some people who say, shut the camp down and move on. And there are other people who say, let's use this as a teachable moment. Let's figure out what happened here. It got to the point where the the local select board called an emergency meeting to issue a statement about, about it, saying that they would ensure that there was a thorough investigation. They weren't ready to call it a racial incident. They, they want more information to come out or whether this was just a bullying incident that happened to have race involved because there were two white boys and an uh, African-American boy involved. This, you know, obviously is something that we're going to be continuing to watch to see how it's dealt with. The island has always been seen as a place where anybody can come to and, and feel safe but it's not always the case. We, we did a special section a year ago on racism on the island and, you know, because of what was happening in the country at that time. And we heard from a lot of voices who said it isn't what it always appears on the island in terms of uh, being accepting of other races. And uh, we have room to do better. This happens to be a month where there's a lot going on in the African-American community. We just had the 100th celebration of the Union Chapel in Oak Bluffs. There's the uh, celebration of uh, DJ Henry, a fundraiser being held in his memory, and the the African-American Film Festival that is becoming bigger and bigger here on the island every year. So all of that to say, this type of an incident is that much more shocking here if it is indeed racially motivated. And just one other point, the Chilmark Community Center is also known as a place where there are kids who are local who attend as well as a lot of summer seasonal kids or kids from people who are there seasonally. So it can be a class situation. I'm just putting that out there. Well, I wish people would look at the comments. The comments are so emotional and I see virtue on both sides. I was reading them and I'm going, yes, I agree. Then I was reading another one going, yes, I agree. And, you know, somebody, you know, people are saying this is a teachable moment. It reflects the world we are currently living in. This is a way for us to sort of remind children and discuss the history of African-Americans in this country. And then there's on the other side, let's not center whiteness right now with the teachable moment stuff. A young child of color attending a camp should feel safe in the community. And I want to remind everyone, you know what this really goes back to? This is why when you see legislation about divide of concepts. This is why when you see legislation pushing back against the 1619 project or, you know, all the, all the things we're seeing, we have to talk about our history because guess what? That story of those two little boys and that young black kid, that's history now. 
That happened a week ago. That's our history. How do we handle it? How do we, how do we learn from it? And at the same time, understand children are going to have to live together. They're going to have to play together. How are we giving them information so they know what they're doing? They're not reflecting what they know. They're reflecting their families. They're reflecting their towns. And frankly, they're reflecting frank, the world we are living in right now. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, more than a small thing. Um, I think we'll be hearing about this for some time. Speaking of emotional, Ted Nisi, Rhode Island has celebrates a, a holiday all by itself, Victory Day. And I did not know this. Some people may recall there was a VJ Day way back in the day, as we say. But that language got changed. And in Rhode Island, they've clung on to the Victory Day. Before you say more about it, let's listen to a veteran talk about the importance of Victory Day to him. We celebrate it, however morbid it is because of the lives that were, uh, that were happened to be taken. But uh, it was necessary because in the end it saved many, many, many lives. So there you go, Ted Nisi, Rhode Island standing alone again. <laughs> so it's this coming Monday. It's always observed the second Monday in August. Now, I will say... I, it's it's a holiday, you know, government offices are closed, banks are closed, but I don't get it off. You know, most <laughs> uh, most people work for uh, in the private sector. It's it's not observed nearly as frequently as a paid day off. Rhode Island had a huge role in World War II. You know, multiple u- future presidents trained here. The manufacturing industry was a huge part of it. I believe roughly one in 10 Rhode Island residents served in World War II. And so three years after the end of the war, they passed a law creating Victory Day, and it was always called Victory Day, but they marked it on, as you said, Kelly, what was called VJ Day in 1945, which stood for Victory Over Japan, just like there had been VE Day, Victory in Europe, uh, a couple months earlier. And because it was in August, it was referred to colloquially, usually as VJ Day. It was VJ Day, and that, as the years went by, that became more and more of an issue in the Japanese community who felt you know, sort of threatened by it. You had pushback in the 80s from Japan itself and from representatives of Japan here saying, why is this little state singling out Japan, a victory over Japan? And traditionalists and veterans have pushed back and said it just happens. You know, if Germany had surrendered second, it would have been VE Day. But yeah, it continues to be a holiday and a source of some controversy when it comes around every year. And one thing I'm curious to see is, you know, there are fewer than 2,000 World War II veterans still alive in Rhode Island. Obviously, we're so many years since the end of the war. And I do wonder if when they have passed from the scene and when they're not around to talk about their experience and why it's important to them, if it will fade away or be changed in some way that, that nobody wanted to do when they were still alive and might feel personally hurt by it. But for now, Rhode Island, the only state in the country with a holiday this week. Mm. Thank you all for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Arnie Arneson is the host of The Attitude with Arnie Arneson from New Hampshire's WNHN. Ted Nisi is the politics and business editor and investigative reporter for Providence, Rhode Island's WPRI. And George Brennan is news editor of the Martha's Vineyard Times. Coming up, it's a rosé party and everyone is invited. That's the tagline for the producer of La Fête du Rosé, a blush wine a lot of A-list Miamians are sipping on the beach. And judging by the skyrocketing sales of rosé wines, everyone is at the party. And that includes serious wine drinkers and young consumers who these days choose wine over beer. Rosé producers are meeting the increased consumer demand with new styles of rosé, exciting wine lovers, and making enthusiasts 
out of wine drinkers who declared they never go pink. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.